Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. Today I bring you some incredible news. I have been working on a secret project for the past three or four months now and I now can tell you that the brand new follow along workout channel is live and here. On this YouTube channel, you're gonna find workouts for fat loss, muscle building, improving your cardio health, flexibility, everything is gonna be on there. You're gonna find body weight workouts, dumbbell workouts, kettlebell and resistance bands workouts, all that you can follow along with. And the best part is that it's completely free. They're also around 10 to 20 minutes long, meaning if you're short of time, you can quickly complete an effective workout or you can combine like two or three of them together and complete like a full 45 to 60 minute workout. New workouts will go live on the channel every Tuesday and Thursday and they're gonna be accompanied by an amazing backdrop, which I'm sure you're all gonna enjoy. So if you wanna find the channel, just search Elliot Hassoon into YouTube and you'll find it very easily. And please subscribe. It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow. And feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. Welcome to the Simply Fit Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Hassoun. In this podcast, I'll be looking at three key questions related to fitness, nutrition, and mindset. I will break these down into information that is easy to understand and actionable so that you can apply it to your life today. This podcast will give you all you need to improve your health and well-being once and for all. So sit back, listen, and most importantly, take action. Hello team and welcome back to the Simply Fit Podcast. I am back with another solo episode and I have a feeling that you guys are going to love today's topics. I'm sure the title caught your attention, so let's get straight down to business and into our first topic of the day. And if you are new here, it is amazing to have you first and foremost. And the traditional format of the podcast is that we go through a training, nutrition, and then a mindset slash lifestyle related question or topic. And today we're going to begin with nutrition. So the question is this, can I drink alcohol on my health and fitness journey? What a question that is to get us started. And honestly, I think that on the basis of asking this question, you probably already know the answer. It's almost like asking, can I have cake whilst I'm on my diet? And with that said, it's worth exploring going through this in more detail. It's not quite as black and white as we might think. I'll start with a broad statement. If you want the best possible results and you're working with a time-sensitive goal, then you're going to be better off abstaining from alcohol. It's really as simple as that. We will go through when it might be appropriate to have alcohol on your journey, but let's put it this way. It's not really providing you with any valuable nutrients. It's not aiding your fat loss. It's often a precursor to eating excessively among many more things which aren't necessarily conducive to fat loss. Now that I've answered this broadly, I want to dive into the details. As I know for most of us, the more understanding we have of something, the easier it becomes to implement. We all know that drinking water is essential for good health, yet we neglect it. We all know that sleeping is essential for good health, yet we neglect it. However, when we know the why and have a couple of compelling reasons, it's much easier to embed this into our mind and take steps in the right direction. So I want to begin with how alcohol will impact our metabolism and the way it's processed. When we consume food, the body breaks down the key macronutrients, carbs, fats, protein, 
and it uses these nutrients for energy, recovery, etc. That's a very, very basic uh, explanation, but you guys generally know how food is broken down. So unlike the food we consume, our bodies simply cannot store alcohol as a fuel source and therefore it skips to the front of the queue to be metabolized, which puts our other digestive processes on hold. A good rule of thumb is that it takes around an hour to metabolize one drink. Let's say that's roughly about 12 ounces of beer. And the more we drink, the longer the process takes. Now, it's worth noting that there will generally be a difference between men and women also, right? And genetics will play a part on how quickly you metabolize alcohol. This is very similar to caffeine that we discussed a few weeks back on episode 40. If our body is breaking down alcohol, it's not going to be able to metabolize the fats from the food we consume. And quite often, this can lead to something that we might know as fatty liver, right? Because the fat is literally building up in the liver. And it also won't be able to break down the carbs in our system either, which can lead to irregularities in our blood sugar, which on a long-term basis can lead to less glucose tolerance and potentially the worst case scenario, which is diabetes. If we're not drinking, on the other hand, our bodies can focus on metabolizing the food we're consuming, extract the nutrients from these foods, and give us full nourishment. So for those of you who already believe that your metabolism might be on the slower side, or if you're a little bit smaller or on the petite side and won't be quite burning as much at rest, this should certainly be a consideration. So aside from the fact that just about every function in your body will operate better when alcohol isn't present, the second argument I want to present today here is the gateway impact that alcohol has. Most of us don't only drink, right? Fast food, burgers, kebabs, and any type of excessive eating are generally synonymous with drinking. Think about the environments you drink in, right? Pre-COVID times, pubs, clubs, generally your own home as well, all of which can expose us to calorific foods. Alcohol can also lower our blood glucose level, which is going to set us up for those unmanageable cravings and explains why we lean towards those comfort foods as well. Nobody is reaching for chicken and broccoli. It's those familiar comfort foods which are highly likely to push us into a calorie surplus. So even if you had the perfect week, your eating and drinking combined on that Friday, Saturday, or Sunday night is likely going to be pushing you over the edge into a calorie surplus. So by quitting drinking and not having it on your journey, you're going to have far more control control of the choices you're making when it comes to nutrition and won't have to worry about the calories that come from alcohol either. And the final reason I want to give you is the impact that drinking is going to have on your performance. There are two things that are absolutely vital for good physical and cognitive performance, sleep and nutrition. Although a lot of us may have become accustomed to believe that alcohol helps us sleep, it may in fact increase your sleep latency, which is the time it takes you to get to sleep. However, the caveat here is that there's an abundance of research showing that alcohol is likely to negatively impact our sleep quality and our quantity. Our REM sleep is impacted. Insomnia is more prevalent, along with other conditions such as sleep apnea. If we go back to the idea that it takes us around an hour to metabolize one drink, it's not unusual for a lot of us to have six, eight, or maybe even 10 drinks, right? So by the time we're trying to sleep, there's still going to be alcohol circulating around our system, trying to be dealt with by the body. That is not an optimal environment for you to be trying to get your rest in. So when we get up probably later that morning or even next morning, due to the fact we were drinking, 
thinking so late, we're going to have compromised sleep. And the residual impact of that is that our cognitive performance will be impacted. And we all know how it feels to have a compromised night of sleep. You know, the simple tasks become even more challenging. Our ability to handle stress becomes even more challenging. And there's just a myriad of other challenges that we have to face as a byproduct of not being as cognitively sharp. And if we're not cognitively sharp, this is going to lead to physical challenges too. Not only are you going to be tired, but our proprioception, our motor skills, and general alertness are all going to be impacted. So either you're going to skip your training session entirely, or if you are brave enough to attempt your session, it's going to be suboptimal, which leads us on to the next aspect, which is the nutritional impact. If we recognize that our body is going to be busy metabolizing alcohol rather than the food that we're consuming, there's an argument to suggest that we're not going to be getting as much out of the food because the body's not going to be able to extract the nutrients the way it usually would. And if it's not extracting the nutrients, then we're not going to have the energy that we need to train effectively. And what else happens when our sleep is compromised and our ability to tolerate stress is low? we get cravings and we reach towards those foods that we know aren't going to be that good to us. Usually it's going to be those sugary and high caloric foods, which are going to lead to irregularities in the blood glucose levels once again, which is going to impact our energy levels and our performance. Dehydration is going to be another factor of that. I think you guys are getting the idea by now. And the idea of sharing this with you all isn't to scare you into not drinking. It's simply to give you guys the information you need to make an informed decision. And as you know, I'm always going to look at both sides of the coin and want to present you with a few reasons as to why it might be beneficial to drink during your journey. I always say that it's beneficial for someone to experience some form of a wedding, holiday, birthday, or any of those occasions during their journey. This gives us an opportunity to work together to go through one of these situations whilst they're being more health and fitness conscious. Realistically, you're going to experience these in the future, so I'd rather them come up so we can work through them together and take the learnings that they provide. And the same can be said for alcohol. If you're planning to reintegrate alcohol into your life when you're in more of a maintenance or a lifestyle phase, it can be really helpful to try out your new approach to alcohol when you're on your journey. If in the past you're only used to getting drunk every time you drank, you went alcohol free until you hit your goal, it's highly likely that due to not having any of experience and just having that all or nothing mindset when it comes to alcohol, when you've achieved your goal and hit your checkpoint, it's quite likely you just go back to drinking the same way you did before or you avoid it entirely, both of which might not be the easiest to sustain long term. However, if I get an opportunity to work with one of my clients during their journey and go through how we're going to practice having alcohol in moderation, we're going to opt for just two drinks, we're going to use a one-to-one ratio with soft drinks and alcoholic drinks, they will get an amazing experience of what it can look like to have alcohol and lead a more health and fitness conscious life. And it really, really is insightful and it goes to show that, oh, actually, I can still make progress, I can still participate in these things and not feel like it's just an all or nothing mindset. And I find that this is really, really effective, especially those who have a bit of an extreme relationship with alcohol at the moment or when they get started on their journey. Another example of when this can be helpful is when someone is already quite good at practicing moderation. There are some people in this world who can have a small bite of chocolate or one drink and 
And that is all they need to satisfy them. Like I'm not one of these people. I'll be honest. I'd rather have none at all, but I know there are people who will ask for that one off plan meal every four to six weeks or so, as they know it's going to motivate them to remain diligent for the next six weeks or so. They get it out of their system and can get back to business quite easily. This is very individual dependent, but if you do identify with this, then integrating alcohol from time to time may be beneficial to you. And one final situation or circumstance where it might be valuable to integrate alcohol into your journey is when alcohol is almost embedded into the certain celebration. This is, of course, completely individual dependent and it's going to be very related to your circumstances. But if it's your dad's birthday and all he wants to do is sit and have a beer with you, if you're at a wedding and you want to toast the bride and groom, if it's New Year's Eve and it's tradition to have champagne to bring the new year in, it could be a good idea to partake in this. Don't get me wrong, you can abstain in all these situations, but there will be times where you may not want to. And if you did, you may actually resent your health and fitness journey. So as long as you apply moderation here, I believe that these situations might be a good idea to involve it and are totally reasonable as well. So to wrap this up, if you want the best possible results, then abstaining from alcohol is going to be your best bet. Alcohol can be integrated into a healthy lifestyle as long as it's done in moderation. A little bit is okay, a little bit more is going to be challenging. Occasionally enjoying a drink or a glass of wine as part of a healthy diet can be done. But like I said, the key is moderation and not only that, but also recognizing the stage of the journey you're in. The most important aspect of this is planning accordingly. And if you are going to go overboard, you have to be willing to accept the repercussions. So that wraps up topic number one and on to the next. Elliot, how do I prepare for my first time in the gym? And if I'm joining a new gym, how do I start to get comfortable in that one? And this is a great question as I believe a lot of us underestimate the power of our environment, especially when it comes to where we train. I've been in so many gyms over the years, and I can tell you without a doubt that there's so many different things that will go into how you feel when you go to the gym. A few that I'm just going to pick off the top of my head here is the amount of space you have, the smell, that can be very important. The people, another very important one. Temperature, the age of the equipment, how well looked after it is, the lighting, there is so much more. A good recent example of this is when I was in Barcelona, I tried out three gyms before landing on the one that I finally spent a couple of weeks training in. The first was fantastic in terms of equipment. However, it was pretty dark. The majority of stuff I wanted to do was underground and it was a little far from where I was staying. The second was closer. It was less expensive too. However, the machines were packed up together. The people didn't look like they were taking their training very seriously. And I just didn't feel that I was going to get the best quality sessions out there. And then I came across the final one. It was spacious. It was clean. There wasn't as many people. It was the most expensive on the other hand, but this is the one I went for. Apart from the accommodation I'm staying in, the gym is going to be where I'm spending the most of my time, potentially four to five, if not more hours per week. My health is one of my highest priorities and I will happily invest if it's going to result in high quality training sessions and leading me to feeling good about going there, being there and what I'm going to get out of my sessions as well. I have to say it has been a very long time since I entered the gym for the first time. However, I actually remember it pretty vividly. My buddy Jonathan and I, shout out to Jonathan if you're listening now, we went together to our local community center. It must have been somewhere between 11 and 12 years ago now, potentially even more I want to say, which is insane now I come to think about it. We spent most of our time on the treadmills, there was a little corner section with the dumbbells where we sheepishly got ourselves accustomed to our environment. 
Then each time we went back, or I should say I went back, which I always uh, make fun of Jonathan about, I tried a new machine and then a new one. I spent more time in the weights area. And soon enough, even as a kid, I was more comfortable within my surroundings. I probably could have had a much more smoother transition into the gym. However, the fortunate part was that I was very, very passionate. And regardless of my experience, I'm sure I would have just kept on going, kept on going until I did feel comfortable. But fortunately, with the experience I've got today and with all the clients that I've given recommendations to, all the new gyms that I've got accustomed to, I want to give you my five top ways of getting yourself accustomed to the gym for the first time. And then at the end, I'll add on how to get accustomed to a new gym as well. So the first on this list here is ask to be shown around the gym when you join and if possible, have an induction. It doesn't matter where you are. It's never enjoyable walking around somewhere and having no clue where you're going, whether it's a dentist or a gym. Nearly walking into the opposite gender's changing rooms, opening a door that leads to someone's office and not the gym is not the most enjoyable first experience. So with most of us signing up online and with some gyms having like a code system to get in, it's highly likely you might have not even seen the gym ahead of signing up apart from a few photos online. If you've not signed up yet and you're listening to this, go and see the gym first. Not only will you know where you're going on your first day, you'll also get a feel of the place and see what the vibe is like. Just because a gym is super close to your home doesn't always make it the best option. Have a look around, ask questions about where everything is so that on your first day, you're not walking around like a lost sheep. I'm not really too sure how many gyms do inductions these days, but if your gym does, I'd highly advise getting one. It will be basic. The instructor may not be that interested, but at least you'll have an idea of how the equipment works and you'll be with someone who is comfortable within that space on your first day. Even to this day, there's times where I go into a gym and I might not know how a piece of equipment works. There's so many different variations of machines. It varies from brand to brand. So this will be worth doing if you get the opportunity to do so. Number two, which kind of ties into the first, go with a friend, a colleague, a family member. Even if you do know where everything is, gyms can feel a bit intimidating initially and having someone you know with you can help reduce that discomfort for the both of you actually. You don't need to train with each other forever, but perhaps you agree to train with each other just on those first two to three weeks or even just your first few sessions. And then once you'll both get a little bit more comfortable with your surroundings, then you choose whether you train together continuously or you go about it on your own, but both you should feel a lot more comfortable within your surroundings. Number three, have a training plan. Because I'm a coach and because I have a coach, I automatically assume that everyone is following a plan. But to be honest, it's highly likely the majority of people in gyms and your gym, in fact, actually have a program. They're aimlessly floating between machines and they're just doing what they feel like on the day. And if you want to get comfortable in your gym quickly, I don't feel this is the way to go. Having a plan that you can follow will give you the confidence on where to go and what to do. A lot of people's initial hesitation is that they're uncomfortable with people watching them, judging them, etc. And when you have a program, you have a clear intention of what you're doing and you're far more likely to feel more comfortable because you know what you need to do, what you need to accomplish, where you need to go. And you're not just looking around, just looking for the spare piece of equipment. You can go from exercise to exercise with intention. You'll be doing these exercises more frequently and you'll be able to get more comfortable with them, leading to more confidence. And not to mention, you are definitely going to see more results when having a plan versus not having one. Number four, be prepared. This should just be a mantra for life. Try your gym outfit on before you first head to the gym. Call the gym beforehand and ask if you need a padlock for the lockers. Pack a towel with you. 
bring a bottle of water with you and make sure it's full in case the fountains aren't working. Pack your headphones and make sure they're charged. The more prepared you are, the better. Before you head to the gym for the first time, think of all the things you're going to need. I've been there in the past where clients have come to their sessions without a water bottle and have almost ended up fainting after their first session. It might seem super simple, but it's actually really easy to forget these simple things. I forget my headphones regularly and I wouldn't say it ruins the session per se, but it definitely does impact the quality and it's not as enjoyable when I don't have them. Create yourself a bit of a checklist with a note section on your phone so that you can be prepared. And when you go in on the first day, you can tick those boxes and ensure that you have everything with you. Number five on how you can feel more comfortable when you first set foot into a gym is to remember that most people are self-conscious and they're usually more interested in themselves. This is one of the biggest hesitations I hear. Most people are starting in the gym because they have insecurities about themselves, their bodies, etc. They're usually concerned that people will make fun of them or look at them. And I really do get it. I do. Gyms can be intimidating. They can leave you feeling fairly vulnerable. However, you and a high percentage of other people are thinking and feeling the same way they're usually focused on themselves and are conscious of other people looking at them and it's unlikely they're going to be looking at you. The remainder of the other people there, like myself, for example, are just focusing on their own training sessions. And I'll be honest, I'm not oblivious to the fact that there will be a very small percentage of losers who stare, make fun of people, but this is a minority. And if you come across any of these people, don't hesitate to report them. No one should make you feel uncomfortable in the gym. It should be a safe space for everyone. So I want to move on to a couple of quick fire tips to wrap up. First, go at quieter and off-peak times to get comfortable in these initial stages. Get a coach or an in-person trainer. Commit to more sessions, three to four maybe per week to get yourself more comfortable quicker. Sign up to some of the classes, get to know the staff, and most importantly, try to enjoy yourself. So all of these can indeed be used if you're going to a new gym for the first time too. So if you apply all the tips I just mentioned, you should feel a lot more comfortable. Another aspect to add to this is Kind of coming back to what I touched on earlier, if you want to get yourself comfortable in a new gym, it will help if the gym meets your criteria on what you want or need from a gym. If you're planning to shower and use the changing rooms, making sure these are spacious and clean is going to be super important. If you know you perform better when your gym is brightly lit and has natural daylight coming through, an underground gym may not suit your preference. I am a big believer in your gym membership being an investment. I've happily paid over £150 per month for a gym and I would do it again if that gym ticked my boxes. If you've picked a place that smells, is dark, the temperature is always too hot or cold, you'll just want to be in and out and when your motivation is low, it's going to be hard to convince yourself to go as well. However, if you are going to a beautiful gym, it's well air conditioned and people in the gym motivate you to train harder. This could be the difference between you having a suboptimal session or absolutely smashing it. So that is how you're going to approach the gym for the first time and what to consider if you're joining a new one and what to get comfortable as soon as possible. So that wraps up question number two and on to the third and final of the day. Elliot, I've heard you say that you're pro-therapy. Why do you think people should go? So on episode 19, I did an entire episode on my top five ways to improve your mental health. I truly believe it's a really, really valuable episode. So if you haven't listened already, please, please do. And I'll be honest, I did realize that once I listened back to it, I did miss something. 
I spoke briefly about how I believed in therapy. However, I didn't express that before I started, I did not want to do it. And that is probably the understatement of the year. I absolutely was not going to go anywhere near it. I wouldn't say that I was anti-therapy. I just believed it wasn't going to be something that I needed. I didn't want to be put in the box of people who quote unquote needed therapy. I believed in the stigma. If I needed therapy, then something must be wrong with me, I assumed. And being the person I am, I kept saying, no, I'll work through these things on my own. I, you know, I'm, I'm persistent. I can handle this. I can do this stuff on my own. Fortunately, I was being pushed in this direction, but I wasn't having it. I was being incredibly reluctant. In the past, I had done hypnotherapy, two to three times, in fact, but I didn't feel like this was the same as the traditional talk therapy that I was being suggested this time around. During hypnotherapy, the clue is in the name. You're hypnotized and something about it didn't feel quite the same as sitting in front of someone and talking to them about your problems, your inner demons, your mental well-being. I want to say that it probably took me a solid nine to 10 months until I finally let go of my resistance and decided to go ahead with it. And even until the date of the first session, I was still reluctant. I was quietly relieved when my therapist didn't return up to my first session due to a scheduling mistake. I thought I was off the hook here. But then came my first session. And it was honestly a fascinating experience that has since changed the trajectory of my life. One of my values is integrity. So when I speak about something like this, it comes from a place of true honesty. And I genuinely believe that it's probably one of the most undervalued things out there. What I realized is it doesn't matter how traumatic or not traumatic your childhood or life up until this point has been, we've all been through something. We've all attached a meaning to a certain situation. We're all human and we all, to some degree, need to heal. There will be a lot of people out there with an incredible support system who are just really good at rationalizing the world around them. However, with the prevalence of mental health challenges coming to the surface along with the alarming rates of suicides, it seems as if there's still an abundance of people who are out there facing these challenges and not doing so well with facing them. And on the note of challenges, you don't need to hit rock bottom in order to recruit the help and the support of the therapist. I continue to work with the therapist to this day to help me work through things that are going on in my day-to-day life, get a neutral, knowledgeable perspective on my inner workings, and to continue to discover more about myself and grow as a human being. If you feel that you want to understand more about yourself, that's realistically the only reason you need to see a therapist. Perhaps you'll see one and they'll suggest that you need life coaching instead, or you just need a few sessions to work out some things that happened that you never realized were even having an impact. So before I go into the why in more detail, I think it's important to discuss the how, as this can be a really, really challenging first step. And to begin with, for those of you who might be having reservations about having therapy during the pandemic, when you might not be able to see an in-person therapist, all of my therapy is done virtually via video calls. I did do hypnotherapy in person, but since using a cognitive behavioral therapist, I've only done it virtually and I've not seen any drawbacks to doing this whatsoever. And if I'm honest, I also think the pandemic was really helpful here in the sense that if I saw someone in person, I don't think I would have been as comfortable going to the sessions knowing that I had to actually meet someone and speak to someone who, without any kind of barrier, whereas I had that virtual barrier of being on the other side of the screen, I was doing it at the comfort of my own home. So it actually helped that it was all done virtually. And there does seem to be a lot of websites out there like BetterHelp and other certain counseling websites you can go through. And I have to clarify, I've not personally used them, but I have heard good things. And it does seem to be a simple way of finding a 
psychotherapist. Of course, you can go down the traditional route of Googling someone. You can also get referred by your GP. Or if you know someone who's having or has had therapy in the past, you can always ask them to refer their therapist Or if you don't want to use the same person, ask if their therapist can refer someone within their network. This is probably one of the most challenging first steps. As if you are reluctant or resistant like I was, you'll be putting it off for a long while, which is why I encourage you that if you have any inclination towards doing this, try and take action as soon as possible. So it's come back to the question of why I believe people should go. And interestingly enough, there is some real comparisons with the health and fitness journey. There is an abundance of people in the world who have lower back problems, lethargy, health conditions, and you may even be one of them as you're listening right now. And when you have these, it almost seems as if there's nothing that's going to work. You try physio, you try medication, you try caffeine. However, none of these seem to go away and you just believe that these challenges are just going to stay with you and they are just normal aspects of your everyday existence. However, when I meet someone who has these and I look at their lifestyle, I'd say that, you know, nine or maybe even 9.5 times out of 10, the majority of these issues can be resolved by committing to your health and fitness. Those lower back problems are bound to improve with regular exercise, mobility work, and getting rid of that excess weight on your frame. The lethargy you're feeling will soon go away once you focus on getting good quality sleep and eating high quality food those health conditions you're experiencing, there's a possibility that they can be reversed. I've worked with people who have reversed type 2 diabetes, who've had skin conditions improve, who have come off their blood pressure medication. And even if you aren't able to eliminate your condition, it's highly likely that the severity of your symptoms will improve if your health and fitness is in a better place. When you've gone through the journey yourself and when you have my particular advantage point, as you've taken others through the journey too, you see how essential looking after your physical health and well-being is and the profound impact it can have. The answer is not at the bottom of the pot of pills. It lies in taking control of your physical health and well-being. I can now see this from a mile off. I can see people sitting in coffee shops or walking down the street and identify that they need to take better care of their health and wellness. And also, once you see the impact that this has, you want everyone else to experience it too. And the same goes for my experience and most people's experience with therapy. The more I meet and understand human beings, the more I realize that unless it's cultivated, a lot of us don't have metacognition or a lot of it. If this is the first time you're hearing the word metacognition, it's simply an awareness of one's own thought processes and an understanding of the patterns behind them. The first time I experienced that I was separate from my thoughts was when I started meditating back in 2017. Up until then, I had no idea that I was separate from my thoughts. This was a really eye-opening moment in my life, and it was almost quite a relief to be completely honest. There's studies suggesting that we have 6,200 thoughts per day. That's 6,200 thoughts per day. It doesn't matter how great your life is, you're going to get your fair share of thoughts that you don't enjoy having and don't necessarily serve you. It's also worth noting that a lot of our beliefs about ourselves and our beliefs about the world, in fact, are created in our younger years when we're far less conscious of what's going on. So let's say you were referred to as the unintelligent child when you were younger because you didn't quite learn at the speed of others and you just didn't do too well in your exams. You were more of a creative and a visual learner, but unfortunately your teachers didn't pick up on this. You go through school not doing well, you get called dumb by the other kids, and then you fail on your exams. As you grow up, you go through the natural failures and hardships that come along, but each time you fail, you go back to those thoughts of failing the exams and not being a smart kid, and it ends up being your reality. Even when this could have been 15, 20, 25 years ago, 
But this is the reality for most people. We assign unhelpful labels to ourselves and develop a fixed mindset based on things that are no longer true. I'm not good with technology. I'm not good with numbers. Someone like me could never do that. And these may seem small when we look at these examples, but what about that person who fails all the time and then starts to question why they're even in this world, what their purpose is, and all they can see is a failure, someone who's not good enough. This can turn dark very quickly. And this is just an example of someone who's given a label. What about the person who has experienced physical, sexual, or emotional abuse? They may be carrying shame, guilt, feelings of unworthiness that were never addressed. There are more people feeling this way than I think we really recognize. We bottle this up, we don't speak about it, and it manifests itself into drinking, drugs, suicidal thoughts, among many more. If we aren't able to see how our younger years shaped us and how we are not our thoughts, things can and will get dark. And what therapy can do for you is help you revisit these parts of your life and help you rationalize them, help you to see them for what they really are, and help you to recognize that you're a different person and you are not that same person who went through those things all those years ago. So many of us are carrying around unresolved trauma of the past, labels that we were giving, and they have shaped our reality in a way that may be very, very detrimental to us. You might have been blessed with friends and family members who you're able to talk about these things with, but most of us are not even aware that they exist, and this is what therapy can help with. Instead of that old meaning you attach to your past, you can look at it from a different perspective. You can look at it from the perspective of how you're stronger because of your past, and you can attach meanings that now serve you instead of hindering you like they have done up until this point. It can help you understand your triggers, why that certain person frustrates you, why simple things make you angry, why what your partner does that seems so small on the outside looking in makes you want to explode. It can help you understand why you have insecurities, why you lack confidence, why you struggle with public speaking, for example, why you don't back yourself in certain situations. All of these things can be addressed and discussed. I look at therapy as a journey of self-exploration. I want to know how my mind works so I can live a happier and more fulfilled life. The better I understand my own mind and my own inner workings, the better I can understand the people in my life and the clients I work with as well so I can help them more effectively. I'll be honest, it's not always going to be pretty and you will open up multiple cans of worms, but you'll be grateful for the insights and the understanding of why you are who you are and why you do what you do. It will probably look very messy before it becomes clear, but just like the health and fitness journey, it will be full of ups and downs, but in the end, you'll be glad that you went through it. And the final couple of things I want to wrap up on here is what do you have to lose? Maybe 45 to 60 minutes, the hourly rate of your therapist, it's not a big price to pay for something that may help you tremendously. Along with this, when it comes to coaches, trainers, mentors, therapists as well, finding the one that suits you is incredibly important. Just because you were assigned one at random does not mean they're the right match for you. When you're in a gym, there may be 12 to 15 qualified personal trainers, yet only a few of them are actually good at what they do. They're not all made equal, and I'm pretty sure the same would go for therapists too. Don't feel like you need to stick to one person if you don't feel like they're the right fit. Try more until you find someone who suits you and you get what you need out of it. Mental health is such an important topic and talk therapy could be something that helps you immensely. So if you're not feeling great, or even if you are and you just want to do some self-exploration, it's certainly worth considering. Okay, team, that is everything from me today. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, 
you know what to do. First of all, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode and that they automatically download on your device. It's going to be really helpful if you do want to listen offline too. And please rate the show five stars and be so kind to leave us a review. It helps you become part of the mission of spreading this podcast far and wide so we can help more and more people. Thank you as always for listening, guys. Take care and we'll speak soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being. Be sure to search for Simply Fit in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the episode, please don't forget to give it a five-star rating. I'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you have. So reach out to me on social media. You'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Elliot Hassoun. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to talking with you all on the next one.